Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulihi al-kareem wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome back to another Umfi podcast with your host Shabir Hassan. Alhamdulillah, uh, it's been amazing so far. And uh, today's episode is going to be extremely interesting, especially uh, with the month of Ramadan just around the corner. Uh, we have someone who has been involved in many different things and you know what we're gonna it's gonna be difficult to kind of cover everything because he has a very very impressive bio mashallah uh, it's a brother that i've known for some time now as well alhamdulillah but uh, something unique that he's been involved with which we're going to speak about later is a, a, a very unique and amazing community initiative which involves iftar which we all look forward to uh, every ramadan whilst we're fasting of course but we're going to speak about that a bit more inshallah but it gives me a great pleasure uh, to introduce uh, our guest for today's show, none other than our dear brother Omar Salha. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you? You okay? Very well, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for, for joining us on the uh, on the show. Uh, like we said, uh, I, I was actually I was actually reading some of your like your bio, which is on the SOAS website, and I was like, wow, man, like, where are we going to start? <laughs> where are we going to start? Do we start with the research? Do we start with some of the projects that you're involved with? But uh, alhamdulillah, uh, it's amazing to have you on. And like I said, I mean, we've known each other for, for some time now, um, and especially through some of the, the work that you've been involved with in the community, which is amazing, which inshallah we're going to, which we're going to speak about. Um, but let's start off with, with the main question, right? And I know it's a, it's a bit of a random question, but a lot of people don't know this about you, right? Mm. Uh, but the really interesting what fact... Is this? I'm quite intrigued. What kind of question are you going to ask now? <laughs> no, it's, it's quite well known. For those, of you, for those of you who follow Brother Omar on Twitter uh, and have been following him, then you're going to know about this. Oh, goodness. But, uh, oh. but uh, interesting fact is that uh, you were involved in a football match mm. and uh, you scored a penalty, right? But you didn't just score any penalty against any person. <laughs> you scored a penalty against none other than Mourinho, the yeah, current yeah. Uh, manager of Manchester United. Mm. I don't know how long that's going to... Well, he's know. left now, hasn't he? Has he left? Yeah. Oh, my God. Clearly I'm so you're behind. A, you're a big, I'm, you're a massive oh, yeah. Fan, he you? has left. <laughs> wow. It's been almost two months now. You know what? <laughs> let's, just, let's just ignore that. <laughs> let's, all right? edit, let's edit that piece out. <laughs> All right, so the ex-manager of Manchester United, yeah. I think he left maybe because you scored a penalty against him. I think he could have... <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Not because of that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, tell us about that experience, right? Scoring a penalty and, and then you can tell us what that football match was all about as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, it was very surreal. Even just thinking about it and talking about <laughs> it again yeah. every, every, every now and then. You know, what are the opportunities of like, yeah. or possibilities of playing a match, let alone, you know, scoring a penalty against Mourinho? But mm. also being uh, on the same pitch as Sir Mo Farah, um, Paul Merson, Alan Shearer, Peter Crouch, yeah. Jamie Redknapp, etc. Um, Ian Wright, Les Ferdinand, all these amazing legends of the Premier League yeah. and, 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 and the English League. And um, that came about because of obviously, you know, with regards to what happened to Grenfell, mm. uh, the tragedy uh, back in 2017. Um, there was a, a game that was organised um, with the Queen's Park Rangers Football Club yeah. to raise money. Uh, and uh, a lot of celebrities, football players came together to um, put on a game and also um, invite people from the community to come together. And all the proceeds will be going towards helping the survivors and the bereaved families. Mm. 
Marcus Mumford, so he's a, a famous uh, singer, um, uh, was also, you know, volunteering in the area and we crossed paths and we spoke, um, we exchanged details and, you know, we were, you know, you know, updating each other in terms of the volunteering efforts on the ground. Yeah. Um, then he said to me, look, are you a football fan? Are you interested in football? And for those who know me, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about football. Yeah. And um, he said, look, we're organizing a game uh, in, in memory of, of the, the families and to raise money. Uh, these are some of the name the names involved, and I looked at him and I said, "Please sign me up." <laughs> you know, like I'll be, I'll definitely be uh, honored to to, yeah, to, yeah. to play with some of these amazing legends. And then um, he just out of the blue, he he, he sent me a message and he said, uh, "Here's your shirt." He had my my surname, Salha, and number twenty six, I believe it was. Um, and he said, "You're you're you're in the lineup." So I was wow. like, "You're you're playing. You're please." You know? <laughs> so ever since that time, you know, looking back, I'm thinking, Subhanallah. Um, how you know my, you know as a as a kid growing up like every or most children growing up mm-hmm. they aspire to become a football player um and you know obviously the chances of doing that are extremely minimal mm-hmm. but alhamdulillah subhanallah you know for, for the for that brief <laughs> moment i felt like i was a football player yeah yeah um but it was also amazing to to be on the same field with some amazing legend, legends the yeah. game actually ended 1-1 okay um there was no extra time mm. um and then they went straight to penalties. Okay. Uh, so Les Ferdinand was one manager, was the manager for our team. Yeah. And the other manager was Alan Shearer. <clears throat> okay. And Les was, uh, and he, for those who know, Les is actually from the area. So he grew okay. up as well. And, and I played on the same pitches. He played on uh, at the base of Grenfell Tower. And he said, look, uh, penalties are coming up. Would you be interested in taking a penalty? I said to him, of course, I'll, I'll be interested. Like, <laughs> who wouldn't be, right? <laughs> and of course, the fact that Mourinho is in goal. Exactly, so like, right? it's a no-brainer. You're like, of course, I'll take it. Um, and then uh, when that happened, um, I think I was the, maybe the third or fourth player to take the penalty. And um, yeah, just before like walking up to the penalty spot. Honestly, I'm saying this stuff, I'm getting goosebumps. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah. is this for real? Or is this know, fake? Know, or... right? But obviously... Uh, f- you know, it's something I could tell, inshallah, my grandchildren in many years, you know, bore them, but probably, yeah, you know, probably yeah, yeah. a lot of times I'll probably talk about this. We'll just keep replaying this podcast. Probably, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> just go to the podcast. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the moment just before Mourinho uh, is in goal and the referee says, look, you know, um, put the ball down in the spot, take it. And I remember him coming towards me slowly. So I put the ball down and I turned around and walked back. So this is a lesson I always told, like, as soon as the moment you put the ball down, apparently... The first look, you look at the keeper, he knows where you're going. Okay. So there's a strategy behind that. So this is a good uh, okay. you know, a tip for anyone that's, that's taking a penalty. <laughs> is that when you put the ball down, instantly turn around yeah. and show your back to the keeper. So they don't know exactly what's your first instant uh, thinking okay. in terms of where you'll be going. Um, and I actually turned around, kept my eyes on the ball, and then the referee blew the whistle, and then the rest is history. Wow, that's that's amazing, and it's not even just the fact that you scored a penalty against Mourinho, which was amazing. I remember watching the clip for the first time when he posted. I was like, "Wow, this guy's serious, man!" <laughs> uh, but um, it yeah, just, can just... you imagine if I had missed? <clears throat> yeah, that would we been... would not be doing this podcast. Yeah, I wouldn't have invited you. Know, you, would, you, would, you would have, exactly, you probably wouldn't. Exactly, I invited you, you just for that. You definitely would have asked me the question as well. Oh, no, no, so, definitely. Yeah. We would have just that. avoided the, the question. <laughs> but uh, it's not even just that. It's it's like you said. It's the cause that you did it for as well. Amazing cause, mashallah. Um, that that all of you kind of collectively you came together, and that's something that you have been involved with. It wasn't that wasn't a one-off thing, you know. Just that football match is something that you've also, mashallah, been involved with, which we'll, we'll, we'll speak about as well. Um, but just on that note, by the way, because it seems it seems like you know a lot about football. So were you actually seriously considering becoming like a, a professional football player? Or yeah, something? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, growing up, um, 
so I grew up in West London. Yeah. Uh, I went to a school which was very close to Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. They have a, they had a, a young team called uh, Chelsea Raiders. For these are like underage minors mm. uh, who have a, have a team and. I always used to nag my dad and say, look, you know, after school, I'm going to go and play football. And he was like, no, education is important, etc." Yeah. And um, so for me, I, yeah, my, my father is very passionate. So I guess, suppose I took that from him. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I was just very, you know, attending football matches, etc. Back then, you know, you, you weren't priced out of tickets. Mm. But now it's incredibly yeah, difficult yeah, yeah. to get into any game. <laughs> um but yeah, so yeah, that was my was my sort of dream growing up mm. to to play football. Because uh, again, uh, something else that uh, interesting fact about yourself is that you're doing mashallah all of these things where you're also a, a PhD. You're doing a PhD research at the moment. You're a PhD scholar at SOAS University, yeah. and um, I was reading up. Even your actual research has something to do with football. Yeah. Right, which is really interesting because I haven't come across mm-hmm. before someone who's doing a PhD research something linked to football. So tell us a bit about your research as well. Yeah. So I mean, I'm actually uh, looking at integration of Muslims in Britain okay um, that's my uh, over overarching focus in terms of the thesis and looking at how particularly sport and mm. then football uh, acts as a medium where people okay. come together and um, um, tackling sort of the questions of community cohesion and integration etc mm. and I'm looking at the role of uh, Muslim football players as ambassadors of their faith mm. so an ex- excellent example that we've seen is Mohammed Salah of no. the Liverpool yeah. Football Club and um, and others before him as well, mm. who who paved the way for someone like him, where you know it's much much easier and receptive for fans to accept someone who holds Islam very dear to them and very close to them. Yeah. Um, and they view them as an ambassador, not only for their football club but for the community and for the faith. Um, and uh, you know, people, you know, the likes before him. You look at Dembaba, for example, mm. incredibly instrumental. Yeah. Um, before him, you had Frederick Canute, yeah, who yeah. as well was an incredible beacon, um, and Abu Dhabi of Arsenal Football Club. Yeah. Uh, if you recall, there was a documentary on the BBC which was looking at the Muslim Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know the role of uh, Muslim players and as well, you know, looking at the question of halal food and mm. dieting and fasting and Ramadan and prayer space and. Yeah going out when the players are you know going out for celebrations mm. what do the muslim players do so it was very interesting and alhamdulillah that opened up a world where i was actually able to communicate with a lot of these football players directly mm. so i was in a, in a you know quite fortunate alhamdulillah to have that conversation with them which was upfront and actually get um a genuine perspective and questions and uh, you know just basically start get into their sort of mindset and understand mm. what is it to be like a you know in the life of a football player and an elite football player in the premier league and what I actually, f- you know, found out was what's very interesting is um, ultimately they're, they're, they're obviously, you know, rated as whether they are good or bad players or, or, how, yeah, yeah. or, or, or their performance, <clears throat> yeah, right? Yeah. So, f- for instance, Mohamed Salah, the, all the success that he's done in Liverpool last year, um, had he, for example, scored five goals last season, you know, we wouldn't be talking about yeah, him, yeah. right? Irrespective of the fact that he is very, very close to, you know, his faith and mm. of the fact that he's practicing and, mm. and he talks about it. Um, and clearly and clearly illustrates this when he scores a goal and he does the sujood, yeah. right? But the question is actually, would we be talking about this if he scored five goals or maybe he scored an own goal in a Champions League final, <laughs> for example, yeah. right? Um, so on the contrary, to be good in the field that you're in um, and also Islam allows you to do that. Islam, mm. you know, encourages you to be uh, the best in what, whichever field that yeah. you are in. Um, and so that is the main takeaway was actually, yes, we have these ambassadors, these role models. Mm. Um, it's quite interesting that recently I read that a football player was talking about knife crime and actually how it's important that 
we shouldn't just sort of uh, expect these role models and players and celebrities, if you will, yeah. to talk about this issue because it's very lazy, right? Mm. There needs to be more work which is done from a local authority perspective yeah. and the government, etc., on that level. Because mm. so it's it was a very thin line between you know sort of acknowledging that this player, yes, they are Muslim, they are practicing Muslim, and we're proud of them. Mm. Like Habib, for example, the UFC. Yeah. You know, you can only see that in terms of the win after Conor McGregor and the way yeah, he yeah. held himself afterwards and the the, the, the Twitter feed, etc. <laughs> People were very, very happy and proud that he actually spoke openly about his faith, mm. right, on a public platform, which many people wouldn't do because of fear of sponsorship being pulled away yeah. and all of these things. So it's a gateway where pe young people especially look up and think, wow, I can have this sort of sense of belonging with this individual. Mm. I'm connected here with someone, which is a very powerful uh, capital, For sure, if, we, yeah. if, we, if, we, if we can say, or agency. Um, but to how much we laud that uh, that platform to them is another question entirely, mm. right? They're not fuqaha, they're not as scholars yeah, yeah. in their field, but rather we have that connection because culturally speaking, there are a lot of affinity points mm. in terms of what we, our interests, our hobbies, how we live our life. Um, so there's a correlation there. Um, but there is obviously a distinction between, you know, what is uh, what is a scholar, a traditional yeah, scholar yeah. In, 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 in every sense of that word, and what is someone who is actually modern in terms of their lifestyle, but yeah. also very close to their to their faith, mm. which is guiding them. Yeah, I think so. That's, so that's a good distinction that you made because obviously, like, we're not saying it's a it's a bad thing per se to to to, to hold these people in high esteem and look up to them. You know, they're they're excelling in the field that they're in, but at the same time, we don't go overboard in terms of just following them in terms of being role models and then kind of disregarding uh the like you said the scholars and those who we should be kind of uh, uh following in that sense so that's a really good uh, that's that, that's a really good kind of overview actually because you know especially nowadays uh with 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 many youngsters um i feel like they they do have this sense of you know i don't know who to look up to anymore and i don't know who my role model is anymore so it's very easy to kind of open up your your social media and look at the feed and then you see someone who's like got a, a huge following or someone who's successful um however we define that or someone who's excelling albeit let's say in sports as well mm. uh, football or, or or mma uh, or whatever it might be and a lot of a lot of people they find that attachment to them because a they're like you said that they're, they're doing well because mm. like you know we wouldn't be speaking about them if they weren't doing well and they're excelling in that sport and then b is because they're muslim and they're openly talking about their faith. So, do you think that that's um, that's kind of uh, an important thing for for any? We're not just talking about sports here now. For anyone who has who is a Muslim and is excelling and is and maybe um, you know doing well in whatever field they're in, do you think it is important to actually openly speak about uh, your faith, or do you think that actually you know what you don't have to always kind of speak about your faith? openly mm. you can just mm. kind of let your actions maybe do the speaking what's mm. your what's your take on that i mean personally i mean i, I would always uh <clears throat> the best the, the the sort of the loudest uh message you can put out there is not subhanallah it's not through uh the words that come out yeah. of your mouth but rather <clears throat> through actions <clears throat> yeah and i think um you know we saw that video clip of think of sergio mani for example cleaning the masjid mm, toilets yeah you know i mean he's someone who doesn't really you know come onto television quite often and you know, he's he's quite shy, and mm. Kante is another one, for example, yeah, at Chelsea. Yeah. So these these are these are exceptional football players. You know, they've done very well for their for their country, respectively, mm. and also for for their club. Yeah. But ultimately, it's just action. You know, who, how you carry yourself, not only in front of the camera, but of course outside, uh, behind closed doors, and mm. you know, with your teammates and with your family, etc. You know, 
there's also there's always this, this this sense of you know pressure that we have to put up a persona in front of the camera mm. um, and actually live up to sort of ideals or what society expects of us to look like or, or to act like. But mm. on the contrary, I mean, just be who you are. Just be you, really. It's ultimately the, the best thing is that at the end of the day, obviously, the, we try to um, work towards a level of ihsan, right? Yeah. And the, the perfection of our ibadah is basically mm. knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching us wherever we are in front of a camera or we're away from a camera, right? And of course, mm. we all have faults. You know, we all we all commit sins, etc. Um, it's just the acknowledgement of, of, of those sins that we fall into or, or the, 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 the faults that we, we come across and acknowledging them moving forward and actually try to be as true to ourselves as possible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, it's, it's important that... Uh, Focusing on, on what your profession is, yeah, right? Yeah. And actually just being a good human, mm. really. Is it just yeah, boil yeah. it down to the very basics is just to be be a good version of you, mm. right? Be a truer version of, of yourself and um, wherever you may be, right? Mm. You know, we're not we're not confined by a space, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created this world and wherever we go, yeah. right? Um, whether it's in London or <clears throat> in a different continent, etc. Uh, wherever we travel, right, you're carrying that 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 um, that those principles and those ethics with you, right? Mm. And for us, Alhamdulillah, it is Islam. You know, it is something that we believe is the Haq, and you know, we 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 want to hold on to and also mm. perfect ourselves, and actually illustrate what Islam teaches us through our actions, mm. wherever we wherever we may, we may go. I wanted to also add, uh, because we spoke about the penalty against Mourinho, and yeah. there's another <laughs> a, a recent accomplishment as well that you can kind of add to the list, which is uh, recently you delivered a TED Talk, which um, a mm. lot of people, they like, you know, TED Talks is like, um, I guess because of the reach and because of the impact and because I guess what's spoken about as well, a lot of people, they they add that to, you know, something that they would want to accomplish and they would want to do. So tell us about how your uh, recent TED Talk went as well, how that came about, what you spoke about and, um, you know, the kind of feedback you've been getting from it. Yeah, Alhamdulillah. I mean, it was, a, it was a, to be honest with you, it's funny you say that because, um, you know, Alhamdulillah, over the years I've delivered many, many public lectures, yeah. seminars, workshops, uh, international conferences, etc. But this one in particular, I remember like uh, arriving uh, the night before. It was in Bradford, um, okay. and uh, I was in- incredibly nervous. <laughs> I was really, really nervous. And <clears> even though like, with all the experience, in this is this is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. So like, despite the fact that you know I've I've, I've been used to speaking in front of 300, yeah, yeah, 400 yeah. people, and you know it's it, you know it's normal, mm. right? It's, just, it's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, once the adrenaline kicks in, then it's almost like autopilot. Yeah, You're yeah, good yeah, to course, go. Yeah. But Subhanallah, I, I mean, I was making dua, and I was like. Man, why am I sweating? Like, why am I? Like, uh, this is this is not good. What's what's happening? And um, I was very nervous, very nervous. And I think uh, I I, I try to stomach it in and not show people as well, which made mm. it worse because it's like there was no there was no <laughs> yeah, release. Yeah, yeah. So I was just like holding it all in. Um, and then I, you know, in terms of preparation, Subhanallah. Like uh, leading up to to the event, I was incredibly busy with so many things, and like I didn't have managed to have time. So on a train up from London to Bradford, literally just sitting there, just going through some notes, etc. Mm. I arrive very late. I check into the hotel, and uh, I'm the first speaker. Oh, so I told yeah, I told the organizers, listen, please, could you like push it forward? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I'm a bit, <clears throat> bit groggy, tired, just come from London. Um, and they're like, no, 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 you, we want you to set the tone of the day. And I'm like, you, trust me, you don't want that. You don't, want to, you don't want to take that risk. You don't know what kind of week or what kind of day yeah, I've had. Yeah. Uh, they're like, no, 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 you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I was like, I won't be fine. <laughs> but subhanAllah, like uh, after the first uh, 30 seconds, it was all just, you know, speaking from my mind, etc. Um, 
And the topic was basically looking at uh, um, the use of space uh, mm. as, as a form of social interaction in our communities. And um, and also, yeah, in particular, Ramadan 10 project, mm. so um, which is now, alhamdulillah, a you know, community institution looking at uh, promoting uh, and perfecting the act of fasting as well as raising the importance uh, of understanding and appreciating Ramadan. Mm. Um, and it was a great way to showcase <clears throat> our work over the past seven years with the people of Bradford, mm. um, where we have held an open iftar. So one of our key programs is the open iftar, which we run yeah. in Ramadan. Uh, and we held that the first time uh, last year in, in Bradford, in Centenary Square. And inshallah, okay. we'll be going back there for three nights as well. Um, so yeah, that was basically uh, the, the, the topic. And we all talked about a bit more about, you know, the idea that you know a sense of belonging is a very very um, important and very um, uh, uh, passionate topic which I which I share very closely mm. uh, and, and and look at is the the othering of of one another so okay. obviously the you know identity politics in terms of you know as a citizen do I do I belong right mm. do I have a sense of belonging where do I belong. Mm. And these are questions which uh, you know quite relevant, especially today with the current climate in in you know with with Brexit etc. and with Europe, what's happening with the increase of the far right, anti-Muslim hate crimes are at the highest level ever, um, and also what's happening in America as well and mm. around the world. So this question of belonging, you know, especially for this generation that we're all in, very young generation where we, maybe we're sort of second, third, fourth generation. And we've most of us have been born and, you know, bred in, in the UK. And it's almost mm. like, do I belong? Do I not? If I look at the t television and look at most uh, media corporations, actually, I do not belong. But all I know is my memory mm. of, you know, growing up in this country. Right. So and there's, there's obviously a sense of duality. Can you hold on to one identity or do you have identities? Yeah. Right. And an idea that, you know, we're all, we all come from many, many different backgrounds. Yeah. And the mere fact that you learn a new language, you've evolved your identity. Right. The mere fact that you have studied else abroad, for example, for a year or two years or worked abroad, mm. your identity develops, it enhances. You're never fixed. Mm. Right. Um, so so that's that's something which I'm actually going to be talking about as well next week, inshallah, when I when I fly out. So another conference, inshallah, looking at that, the mm. othering and belonging conference as well. So that's sort of the the the, the angle that I was looking at. So alhamdulillah, it was, was very, very good in terms of the response. You know, it was great, alhamdulillah. But of course, as always, you always look at rooms for improvement yeah. uh, to work on. And um, uh, yeah, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. Uh, in terms of Ramadan 10 project, which you mentioned, of course, that's one of the things that I wanted to discuss because I've been following over the years, mashallah, the progress um, that you guys have been making. Uh, and it's very impressive because it's it's literally a first of its kind in terms of what you guys are focusing on. And uh, I think it's amazing just the fact that because uh, usually as Muslims who are observing the fast in Ramadan, um, you kind of take it for granted, especially if you've got fa a family of your own. Mm. You know, iftar time, usually mm. it's the time for the family to come together mm. and have iftar. Um, but then when you think kind of deeper and then think about, okay, you have many single students, for example, university students, they're away from home. What do they do at iftar time? Or, you know, even people, uh, for example, new Muslims, you know, reverts. Um, they've just come into the faith and they might want to begin fasting themselves. And then it's like, but okay, iftar time, because it, it's not a nice feel. I've done it before myself where iftar time, literally you just, like, the adhan goes, either like if, you, let's say you don't get a chance to go to the masjid, you literally break fast by yourself, you mm. have some food. It doesn't, it's not a nice feeling. It's not a nice feeling, it's not a nice feeling yeah. to sit yeah. there and have iftar by yourself. Yeah. Especially when you think about, uh, subhanAllah, like 
those memories like I was just with my family like last year it was really nice having iftar or I was in a masjid yeah. part of a community which I was raised in it's a nice feeling yeah. and then what you guys have kind of done is you've you found that gap and you've identified that and now you've you, what you guys call it an open iftar literally where it's open for everyone mm. and not even just to restricted to muslims as well you you open it up to people of other faiths to come mm. along mm. or no faith mm. uh, which is very impressive so i want to find out uh, like more cuz this goes back many years now what what was this like how did you you know when did you come up with the idea what was the kind of vision behind it and then you can you can tell us about of course mashallah like we're in 2019 now yeah, it's been yeah, going yeah. strong and it's yeah, grown yeah. and and it's expanded out, outside of london you're going to different cities now so yeah. so tell us about where it all began with rtp so the the origins of it is like it's interesting you talked about you know single students and international mm. students as well because that's primarily one of the main reasons why you know the idea came about mm. back in 2011 uh, myself and volunteers at university you know wanted to create an atmosphere during Ramadan where we can invite people of different faiths and non-faiths mm. but ultimately you know a space for international uh, muslim students okay. where again they're away from family they probably met some new <coughs> colleagues and friends uh, during yeah. their time uh, studying in london um and you know f- through that we had about about let's say 10 to 15 people the first ever sort okay. of open of tawi organized and then that slowly grew and grew and grew mm. um in 2013 we held the first uh, campaign of 30 nights of doing an open iftar uh, at Sawas uh, okay. University and then we then we moved to a park which was close to the British Museum and for 30 nights again since 2014 we've been operating out of there and alhamdulillah like, you know after year upon year upon year we then we opened up from just not only serving international muslim students but actually just having it open to, yeah, to yeah. anyone right so even rough sleepers the homeless um walkers by tourists uh, you know people of different faiths and people of non faiths like you mentioned so alhamdulillah up until now we've served uh, over 70,000 people across Inshallah. 10 cities and four continents <clears throat> so that includes Brilliant. like the cities like london mm. we mentioned manchester bradford birmingham plymouth uh in the UK um also uh, Istanbul Zambia oh, wow. uh Toronto Canada and Portland Oregon USA wow. so we've expanded internationally as well yeah. um and uh, so we we started with the premise being actually let's create a space where mm. Muslims can come together and non-Muslims <clears throat> and explore the experience of the iftar yeah. the iftari meal being obviously the meal that we have at sunset mm. you know after a day or uh, where Muslims are fasting during the month of Ramadan um and you know for for us you know you mentioned the keyword which was focus and mm. you know we got to a stage where we are right now not through just you know waking up and knowing exactly what to do yeah yeah it, it did take a lot of time and a lot of thinking in terms of like what is it that we're trying to do really and uh what is our what is our key focus and we found that subhanallah like and we've we've you know you know experimented do, doing things during the year mm. and we found that you know ramadan actually for us I mean for me personally is not a month in the islamic calendar mm. and most people will be watching like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it is and it, yeah it is but what i mean by that is it's actually a state of mind mm. ramadan is uh, about mindfulness mm. it's actually about using it as a springboard in how you can be every single day of your life i mean during the month of ramadan the the axis of the earth does not flip upside down Yeah yeah. The waves don't reverse. Mm. You know, the sun doesn't rise from the east. <laughs> you know, like it's just another day if you if you know yeah, what I mean, yeah, yeah, right? It's just yeah. obviously it's a month which is a blessed month. Mm. 
but nothing transformational has happened with the yeah, environment. Like you don't wake up the next morning different as yeah, you're the I mean, same person, but... There is obviously the spirit of Ramadan yeah, yeah. because obviously you go out to the community, you see family and friends, mm. they're all fasting, they're all feeling the same thing. So actually a sense of community, right? Mm. Which is really, really an integral part of Ramadan because yeah. you're praying together for Tarawih with thousands of people. You're breaking fast with strangers, with family they've not mm. seen for quite some time. Um, you're giving charity. Many people are giving charity. Actually, the most we give charity is during Ramadan yeah. and with the Chop Charity Givers mm. in the UK. Um and for me, it was actually about, well, hold on a second. How can we bottle this this sort of state of mindfulness, right? Mm. And our state of mind and export that outside of Ramadan, right? Um, it's a challenge, but it's something that we we, we, we love to, to thrive on these yeah. challenges and, and take on board. And for us right now, that's why we have Ramadan 10 project, which, you know, was our initial journey. Yeah. We decided to sort of keep that... Um, uh, nice, you know, uh, na the name in terms of our journey and keeping yeah, the heritage yeah. connect and connected and keeping that and now actually focusing more on, you know, widening the idea of Ramadan being something which we can learn from yeah. and also implement in our daily lives in terms of growth, in terms of mm. spirituality, in terms of positive mindset, in terms of patience, which is an integral part of Ramadan, patience, mm. um, self-discipline, you, know, um, you know, holding back on, on terms of the desires that we want. Um, developing our understanding on Ramadan itself, knowing that actually it's split into thirds, the yeah. first 10, the middle 10, the last 10, mm. forgiveness, mercy, and of course, savior from the hellfire. Mm. Um, and then you've got fasting, which entirely in itself, you can sit down and focus on the beauties of, you know, what, you know, A, how do you perfect your fasting? You know, most well, most of us may not know that actually in fasting, there are three levels to fasting. There's abstaining from food and drink, there's abstaining then from what is sinful in terms of what you see, what you hear, what you say, mm. what you touch. And then finally, uh, abstaining from all of those things, as well as being able to have that mental and spiritual connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. Um, so actually, there are three very deep levels to that. And I think that, uh, um, you know, what we're saying boldly is Ramadan is actually a cure to a lot of the existential questions that we come across in, in, our, in our lives for instance social isolation mm. depression not knowing our sense of purpose in life um, and Ramadan is such a beautiful month because it allows you to go onto a journey mm. leading up to Ramadan and the month itself and post Ramadan where you have rediscovered yourself you have mm. rediscovered you you have rediscovered your purpose you have unlocked this amazing potential in being able to capture the, the, the spirit and the beauty of Ramadan in allowing you to grow as an individual. Your mindset has shifted, yeah. right? From maybe being pedantic or pessimistic to now optimism, mm. which in Islam in itself is a culture of optimism. The, the, the Prophet yeah. was the Absolutely. biggest optimist who stepped foot on this planet. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of takeaways for us. And for us, the challenge is how to package that and then, you know, sell it back to the community <laughs> in the sense of, look, there's a lot of amazing uh, lessons and tools for us here to take away from. Yeah. So Alhamdulillah, like we've, we're, we're launching um, a, a, um, a workshop seminar where we're actually looking at um, developing, you know, the understanding and appreciation of Ramadan as well mm. as the, the perfection of fasting. And that's open to everyone. Yeah. You know, whether you are the British Quakers, whether you are <laughs> Christian, whether you are um, a, a, a company or corporation in the city, it's very light, it's very accessible to all because we believe that Ramadan actually has those answers, which um, for many of us, we shy away from answering. Mm. A lot of the questions that we talk about in terms of our purpose, etc. And, you know, it's, it's, it's there as a very easy toolkit 
and we mm. can go out and, and, and deliver these. And, and in addition to that, um, uh, a little sort of teaser in terms of Ramadan is the we're going to be allowing people and communities who actually we want to encourage them and mobilize them into holding a smaller open iftar mm. in their homes, work, school or community. Yeah. Uh, and that's called uh, my open iftar. Okay. Um, nice. Where people can sign up, we, if, whether it's ISOCs as well, mm. right? Because what we don't want to then go into a very a culture, and this is very interesting how over the years I've realized there's a reluctance. When you see a product doing well, there's almost like, well, they can do it, and then I can sit mm. back and, you know, there's almost a service, if I can say, yeah. which has already been provided for me. Uh, and there's a set standard, a quality, right? And actually, it's almost like, when you come across a brother or a sister who are incredible in terms of their akhlaq and and like the you know the the the, the way the the islam is right yeah and you think wow that's amazing that's the ideal i can never reach that therefore i'm going to give up right mm. on the contrary what we're saying is look our journey is 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 something that we want to share with others and actually show that everyone and anyone can get up and get mobilized and actually um, hold these events. Mm. So that's our sort of gate- gateway to, you know, training the community up and down the country to holding the, you know, local My Open Iftar. Yeah. Um, and being able to give them the training and the toolkit to actually invite people to their homes, um, to their workplace, etc. Mm. And it's just all about, you know, furthering that understanding and appreciation. Um, and this year, I mean, this is exclusive, by the way. So we haven't, we haven't, we haven't planned this before. Okay, nice. But um, um, inshallah, this uh, this Ramadan, we're going to be doing something we've never done before, mm-hmm. right? So a lot inviting sh- Mourinho or something. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, you know what? I should, I should invite Mourinho. It's a good shot, actually. Um, yeah, let's see if you'll accept them. Um, remember me I'm the one who's got the yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, you like, reject, like, reject. No. <laughs> yeah. I see the two blue ticks and that's it nothing and nothing else um, but uh, so this year for the first time ever inshallah in in, in London we're mm. going to be doing a large chunk of London as people will know like we, we pick one location we do 30 nights yeah. right but this year we're doing something different so we're going to be doing potentially 20 to 23 nights in one location mm. and, we're, and we're moving to a new location so away from the, the ones that okay. we've been at for before and uh, the last seven nights of Ramadan, we're going to be doing a mobile location at every single for every single night in a different location. Oh, nice! So it's like, we're a, it's be, like a tour. Yeah, RTP so it's a mini tour. mini London yeah, yeah. tour. Okay. But I'm telling you, the the places we're going to be going at, inshallah, if Allah wills and gives inshallah. us life to to witness Ramadan and take benefit from it, yeah. Especially those blessed last ten nights. Yeah. Uh, it will be something exceptional, inshallah. inshallah. So hopefully, it should be really exciting. I'm really excited. Yeah, and yeah. The team is excited because we've not done this before, and it's almost like <clears throat> it's a massive risk, but we wanna we wanna go for it, inshallah. No. Try to try to recreate history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds amazing. And one one key word that you mentioned was space, uh, and this is something that even when you go back. To the seerah, Prophet he uh, he always uh, you know aimed to provide a space for the for the Muslims at hand. So in his in his community, for example, beginning in Mecca, you had Darul Arqam, isn't it? That was like the first uh, ever space for the Muslims where they would go next uh, in a house next to Safa Al Arqam, and then teaching and learning would take place. You know, everyone's welcome to that space. And then obviously it developed in Medina, you had now the masjid. And even the masjid itself, you know, when you study the model of the Prophet's mosque, um, that was also open. You had the men there, you had the children there, you had the woman there, you had everything, so different activities going on, you had non-Muslims coming. So it is amazing how, you know, even in our tradition, this this is something much encouraged, which is to provide a space for the community. So that's exactly what you guys are, are also doing. Because, I mean, someone m- may argue 
that why don't you just hold it uh, in a masjid because mm. many masjids are already mm. kind of doing uh, something similar which is they're holding iftar mm. but i think one thing that's important for people to also realize is that for a lot of these people that are what we mentioned international students single students uh, you know new muslims etc etc a lot of them they're completely new to um, this community so for them to just roll up to a masjid uh, which already has established a community, is very diff- difficult for them to kind of. Uh, we're not saying it's impossible, but it's just very difficult for them to kind of mix with that community when they kind of already feel like outsiders, if that makes sense. But then, with I guess with what you're what you're doing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you already have like-minded people there. So if you're if you're someone new stepping into this space and into this environment, it's very easy to mix because everyone's already looking for that. Everyone's hungry for that space, mm. and everyone's hungry anyway because they've been fasting all yeah. day, right? <laughs> so they're so they're waiting for food. So I think that's I think, and also you guys have the RTP talks aspect as well, which is not just you're not just coming for food, but you actually have speakers mm. each night lined up from again different different kind of um, backgrounds and and different um, you know professions, which is also amazing. So what do you think about the importance of providing a space for Muslims, even though we have the masjid, which is brilliant, but a lot of people, they're looking for something different, like-minded people. How important do you feel like that is, especially within our context in the Muslim community? I mean, masjid in this country uh, are such an important and pivotal network. Mm. Um, It's something we can definitely never, you know, uh, negate or uh, anything like that as such. Um, so f- we should definitely work in partnership with the masajid mm. um, and actually look at developing their programs, enriching their programs to be uh, more out, you know, outward looking. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, mashallah, so, so you know, through the you know, we saw the visit my mosque initiative, for example. Mm. You know, exceptional highest number of m- mosques uh, who si- you know signed up this yeah. year. Uh, we saw the the, the great uh, feedback uh, and the engagement they have in their local communities. Which is which is great. I mean, honestly, like I know we have it really, really uh, bad in terms of the sort of, you know, what's happened in New Zealand, of course, and mm. obviously the the um, the you know, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, the increase of anti-Muslim hate crimes, Islamophobia, and inst- you know, we haven't even talked about institutional discrimination and Islamophobia, mm. etc. Et but in terms of the, the what the community is doing in terms of response and being optimistic and actually looking to contribute to their community. Mm. You know the the list is endless, mashallah. Like honestly, the the, the in terms of the the the, the efforts of our community, um, and this is why I, I I struggle a little bit when people say you know our community is not doing enough. Actually, on the contrary, there's a many many amazing young people, yeah. emerging leaders who are doing some incredible work. Mm. Um, they may perhaps they're not given the the acknowledgement or the platform or maybe the sort of resources to excel in that and actually grow. Maybe there are certain gatekeepers which don't allow them to do that. And I think for us, it's about actually how do we look to to each other and empower each other, right? Mm. Collaborate with each other and actually affording that space where let's not rely on others to sort of almost give us the the solution to get to what we want to achieve, right? Um, I mean, up until now, we've all done what we do, done, you know, out of our own time and resources to get to where we are. So why is it that we expect now suddenly that someone to come and say, you know, mm. here's an easy ticket to get to what you, what you envisage to do. To do. Yeah. And on the contrary, all of the rizq is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, mm. so that, that, that having that sincere, genuine tawakkul is important. Um, but I mean, going back to the point of, of obviously the mosque and spaces, I think it's really important that if we can think strategically and innovatively about mm. the spaces that we have in our community, right? And just going beyond space as well, even the museums and galleries in this country, right? Mm. When it comes to the month of Ramadan, what sort of programs or projects are being conducted? 
mm-hmm. right? Um, is our heritage, you know, as British Muslims, when the month of Ramadan, it's the holiest month, right, mm-hmm. of, of our faith. Yeah. Um, is this considered in some way? Is this acknowledged in some way um, artistically? Or whether it's, it would be through poetry or whether it be through a seminar or whether it be through an exhibition um, um, or whether it be through an iftar. Right? Mm. So this whole thing that we're, we're trying to create here is a culture where in Britain, uh, across Britain and across all institutions, whether they be large or small, is to look at you know the conversation around, around, around Ramadan mm. and opening it up. Right. Yeah. So actually, Masajid is part of you know one sort of this this the spectrum, if I can say, of our of our target audience. Okay. Mm. I mean, our ancestors have been doing iftars for how many years? Right? Yeah, of course, yeah. So it's not it's not it's not new in the sense that actually you know we we've all been doing these iftars. Right? Yeah. But actually, to think you know this is the vision of of looking at beyond just the masjid and having ten fifteen people. Mm. Actually, can this be a permanent fixture where we when the month of Ramadan enters, that we are we know that actually. All the museums, etc., acknowledge this month, right? And actually, mm. this feeds back into, let's say, for example, we held the first ever open iftar at Tate Britain in 121 years, wow. right? Tate Britain holds the largest British art collection in the world. Mm. Okay, I didn't know that. I've never been to Tate Britain mm. until we held this uh, open yeah. iftar event. Uh, we did it in collaboration with uh, an art agency, and they were focusing on the community, uh, community garden. And this was for the day of Arafah. So obviously mm. most of us, it's an optional fast, but it's very much encouraged yeah. for us to fast on this day. Um, and it's actually the, the holiest day of mm. the year, mm. right? The holiest nights are in Ramadan, but yeah. the holiest day is the day of Arafah. This was a good opportunity for us to engage and actually ask the question for someone called Abdurrahman, Muhammad, Mustafa, and for someone called John, um, Peter, or, or, or Simon, right? When they gather and come together and mm. attend um, an open of Ta'at Tate Britain, right? The question of heritage, identity, of knowing one another, breaking down barriers, br- building bridges between different communities is taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, at an institution which you know, of course, you know, it lords itself as as a, as a, as a leading institution, right? Um, um, and and that's where where we find the sort of a, an, an access point to mm-hmm. enter into these institutions to actually look better inform staff as well as visitors and members and the general public mm. about Ramadan. So for us it's it's more about actually taking into consideration, you know, uh, our sense of belonging, our identity. You know, what does that look like? Right? Mm. What does that look like for us? I mean now I'm I'm sure you know if you visit um um and we see this more we actually with with modest fashion. Now yeah. and the hijab, etc. For example, Nike, you know the the Nike hijab, yeah. which to be fair has been happening for <laughs> a number of decades. It's just yeah. the, just the fact that now it has a Nike tick or a swoosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now suddenly it's it's in fashion, yeah, right? Yeah. But we, you know we've you know we've had this in our community for several several decades. Yeah. But but even though despite that, you know you still have young sisters uh, and old sisters who go to the to the shops and see you know a hijab being sold at a Nike store, right? It's almost like a sense of acknowledgement, right? And acceptance that mm. you belong in society, right? Of course, I mean, the, 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 the motives behind that is you're a consumer. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, course, the, yeah. that's the ultimate thing. The, the, the motivators are not actually, you know what, we love your faith and <laughs> want to have hijabs, etc. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they may very, very well do, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but we, we need to look at, you know, we need to be strategic in our thinking um, and thinking outside the box, mm. right? And stop think, stop having this tunnel vision and being able to look at the bigger picture of actually you know what we can you know work collaboratively here and think with innovative solutions or ways 
in which we can see we can acknowledge that the the the, the halal pound right mm. is is a growing industry right it's in the trillion dollar uh, industry uh, as we speak and increasing right mm. um, whether it's food fashion tourism etc um and actually our access points into those is well okay look ramadan we're a ch- charity givers in Ramadan. Yeah. <laughs> Muslims need to buy food, etc. in Ramadan, right? Uh, they need to uh, shop a lot in Ramadan, mm-hmm. right? So why don't we, we almost like have a win-win situation here, actually promote Ramadan, but actually bring it back to its essence. Mm-hmm. And this is where we are incredibly careful with making sure we don't have that message of Ramadan diluted completely through just only fundraising and donations. Yeah. Right? I know like most of us, that in Ramadan is a important month to drive for fundraising and donations because it, it really touches our hearts and pulls on our heartstrings to give money during mm-hmm. this month. Correct? Yeah. So, but what I, you know, our, our, our mission, one of our mission objectives is to bring it back down to the spiritual understanding and the core uh, message of Ramadan mm. is not, irrespective of whatever color t-shirt you're putting on on a, on a live tv channel to ask for funds but actually although that's important we also don't want to be burnt out after ramadan i completely missed the whole point of the month mm-hmm. right the month is there to transform us as individuals where we're actually focusing on looking at the deeper manifestation and spiritual messaging behind it mm-hmm. which actually allows us to think more critically and engage with ourselves as human beings and develop further during the year to allow us to reach another Ramadan as well, mm. right? And actually, that's one of, one of the things is, as well as in, you know, educating people of other faiths about the month of Ramadan, we need education as well within our Muslim community, the British Muslim community. Sure, yeah. You know, we need a lot of edu- re-educating about what Ramadan is and what fasting is and why do we do it and, mm. and you know, what are the lessons for this and actually you need to prepare yourself like anything for an exam, etc. You know, the moment Ramadan hits, you can't just wake up and, you know, like I'm fasting and that's it. Yeah. you got to ease your way into it. Mm. And, and me- mentioning that, obviously, next week uh, is the month of Sha'ban. Mm. You know, the month the Prophet Muhammad used to awesome. fast most of the days outside of Ramadan in this blessed month of mm. Sha'ban, right? And it's a good way to train yourself uh, in, in lieu of, of Ramadan coming up. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of our, 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 you know, the way we've, alhamdulillah, like over the past couple of years have uh, adapted our, our strategy, our, our work ethic. Mm. And in terms of uh, the way we want to approach the month of Ramadan and what we want people to go away with and, and, and you know, take away some very, very important points on. Alhamdulillah. One one word you mentioned, I just want to bounce off, is the word vision. Mm. So uh, it's really important, especially, I mean, for anyone really, whether you're running, um, you know, a community initiative, a social enterprise, yeah. you're an entrepreneur, uh, whether you're, um, um, I don't know, even a, a manager, you know, at a workplace, whatever it might be. But um, vision is something important because we've just heard about your vision with RTP and, and how now through you know your collective efforts as a team with volunteers and everyone else involved how it's kind of grown mm. and and you've developed it it's not just that you've stayed as it as it as it was and as it started you've actually developed it and you've added more ideas uh, you've brought ideas to the table and you've kind of developed it that way so uh, there are many people that are watching or listening that also have ideas like mm. all of us we have ideas especially mm. nowadays right uh, mashallah like the muslim community is a very creative community mm-hmm. we have ideas but a lot of people they kind of struggle okay i've got the idea now well, i have a vision i want to do something but and then they kind of start making excuses for, i don't have the resources mm. i don't have the money mm. i don't have the the, the manpower mm. behind it mm. um so what would your advice be to to just 
anyone listening uh, or watching right now that has a vision, has an idea, um, what would your advice be other than the fact that just go and do it? Like, you know, because <laughs> that is a piece of advice, like, yeah. you know, stop thinking and just go do it. But like maybe some practical steps that helped you, because I'm sure you didn't have all the answers when you started. Yeah. As yeah. you kind of started, um, you know, maybe people came on board, maybe you're, you, you matured in terms of your thinking and your ideas. So... Um, what advice would you give based on your own personal journey to those people listening to develop something? I would say meet the world mm. where it is and and that, that's your starting point and go from there. Mm. Quite often we, we, we want to start with the finished product. Yeah. And we want to say this is what I'm after. And, and, and that's it. You, do, you, just, you mean, but your access point to enter in order for you to achieve that vision, you have to meet the world where it is right now. Mm. You know, you have to look at, you know, where you are in terms of your stage and never, ever make the mistake of comparing your journey with someone else's journey. Mm. Right. The resources they have had, you may not have been, you know, uh, blessed with. Yeah. Um, the context they have had, etc. Their their own spiritual, their, their own personal journey in life as well. Um, so I would I would say focus on you, you know, scale and rank or grade yourself on your own I mean you every single one of us is incredibly unique and has an amazing story to tell mm. right um, and I truly believe in the fact that every single one of us has a wonderful story to tell right and has a wonderful idea that they want to actualize mm. um, but sometimes society uh, almost plays down your hopes before you even thinking of the idea mm. you know Noam Chomsky said something really interesting um, uh, which was you know, the way the system is structured is that when you go to university and you finish and you graduate out of university, um, you have this massive bill on your head, right? Mm. You know, in America, it's like 60,000 pounds, right? <laughs> and, and above. And that's like the bare minimum if we're going to uh, to do an undergraduate degree. Yeah. Um, and for us here, you know, if you graduate and you've got maybe a, a 10,000 pound bill on your head to repay for a master's or an undergraduate, for example, that's the only thing you're concerned about, mm. right? So definitely there are you know, there are infrastructures put into place which are dampening or not or holding us back to be creative. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, if, you, if you can only imagine a movement which is creative in its approach to solving a lot of issues, right? Mm. Not having to worry about the finances or the debt yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah. At such a young age where you have that massive passion and burning energy inside of you at your core to want mm. to go out and change the world suddenly you graduate and five years down the line you're in a three-piece suit of doing uh you know slave hours and you're like what, what's happening here right <laughs> yeah. and you and suddenly you're a different person to where you started off with mm. so I, was, I would say listen to your inner your inner voice right and let that be your guiding compass um i think the, the question about mentors is something which is always thrown about i think it's important but again, appreciate that every single human being on this planet has gone through their own journey mm. and will have their own sort of outlook on life yeah. and have their and then they come to a conclusion based on the experiences they've gone through. Right. Mm. So, you know, Alhamdulillah, you know, there are a lot of mentors I look up to and I ask for advice, etc. But I also appreciate that they are coming from an angle which is very you know, contextualized within, within a particular area. Mm. Never you know, go out and take someone's advice golden and, and that's it. Take mm. it on board. That's a form of leadership is that you take on boards and you take the good and, and leave something which may, may not benefit you directly. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, definitely go out and do stuff. Yeah. But I think meet, meet the world where it is. Yeah. Uh, look at your own journey, uh, and and set your set realistic goals. Think collaboratively. Mm. You know, 
um, quite often we think about you know creating spaces and also holding on to these spaces and not wanting to let go mm. why not why not take the risk and, and and look at opening up opportunities and look at opportunities and this is very important there are opportunities out there where you can initiate a conversation before mm. you know it you know you then you know set on to a, a, a wider vision mm. right it's only through these conversations that you have with people that you realize you're unlocking something else that you have never thought about mm. major corporations do this you know they have a they have a set vision which they work towards you know three four five year vision etc but actually they look at something which is happening and especially now in our in our climate where with digital social media etc everything's happening and moving very very fast mm. right our, our sort of five-year plan that stuff is nonsense. You know, that, <laughs> I mean, everything is changing so fast. You can yeah. work to have a document that you want to work towards, right? But you never know what's going to happen next week or next mm. month, right? So you have to be adaptive in that nature. And and major corporations are the best at this. You know, the the the, the, the they're in the tech industry or fintech, um, online industry. Um, they are incredibly uh, adaptable and flexible despite the the, 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 the the mass of the organization where they are yeah. able to flex their muscles and move and, and actually adapt. Mm. And I think younger entrepreneurs are catching on to that now. They're mm. realizing actually what I want to achieve is not through one technique, but through a number of different techniques, which maybe I wasn't aware of. Mm. And actually it's about unlocking those you know uh, techniques and bringing people on board who have the skill set, who are more knowledgeable than you, yeah. who are able to excel in that, in that shared vision. Mm. Um, so there's a lot there. But yeah. I mean, I think ultimately, if I had to bring it down to one thing, it would, it would be, you know, stop worrying about this background noise around the world, etc., and stop worrying about mm. this person is this age and they've already done this and they were listed on this yeah. and they were listed on that and they received this accolade and they spoke at this event and I wasn't invited and, <laughs> and all sorts, etc. SubhanAllah, like, that's, that's uh, insecurity speaking, mm. right? Bring it down back to the center point. What have you worked mm. on? Celebrate your work. You know, quite often we don't enjoy the process. We yeah. say, I've had a stressful week. But is this something you want to do for the rest of your life? Yes. So then enjoy the process. Mm. Quite often we don't enjoy the process. Like, subhanAllah, like we hired our first members of staff, you know, two months ago. Mashallah. You know, and for us, it was like, a, it's a milestone. Someone yeah, said to yeah. me, Omar, that's a milestone in your, in your company. For sure. And yeah. I said to them, well, subhanAllah, I never thought of it that way. But mm. actually, you enjoy the process. Mm. You know, even any challenge that comes across to you, you look back and think, Alhamdulillah, that was meant for a reason. I've learned from it and I've moved on. So, that as well, not always to, we're the biggest critics of ourselves. The mm. world is, is cynical in itself. Yeah. So you need to be uh, championing yourself yeah. and surround yourself with people who champion you. That's very important. Mm. Positive mindset is, is, is definitely a must. No, I think that's a good piece of advice. So, I mean, like you said, everyone's, everyone's on their own stage of the journey. So it's very easy for us nowadays to just look at someone else, someone else who's already done something and maybe has been doing it for five, ten years. And then to compare your progress to theirs, because you haven't even started yet. So it's easy to think, oh, wow, but mashallah, brother Umar, you've, you've been doing this for five, six, seven years successfully. I want to get something started, but I don't even, at least you've got the experience now. You know, you, you are also at the same stage. And many people who are now, who we deem to be successful or doing something well, like we said, the first thing we spoke about today was excelling in the field, you know, sports, for example. You know, we can't compare, I can't compare myself to Muhammad Salah now, right? <laughs> I think, yeah, you know, I'm going to try and score a penalty against Mourinho tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I haven't even, you know, trained and, and, and have that experience. So I think that's really important. 
one of the final things I want to speak about is now that let's say you've got something going and you've got other people on board and especially with something like this which is a community initiative and something where you're you know it's it's something which other people now naturally a other people would want to get involved and B, you also need other people to come on board because you know there's only so much you can do yourself or just between your a group of friends right so you have something like especially with chari- many charities or many initiatives uh, which is volunteers and you know some people don't like the term volunteer they they like to call it something else whatever you want to call it mm. but let's say you have now team members you know colleagues peers people on board i mean i guess another challenge now because now that you're growing is how to kind of you know collaborate and how to work with the team how to keep volunteers motivated for example so that it's not just like a it's not just a one-off buzz thing you know just in ramadan it's a buzz straight after ramadan it's like yeah we just disappear for a bit mm. so as someone now who has that experience you know you've you've seen a, a, a team now almost or a, t- a group of volunteers or people you've taken under your wing again what kind of you know what was that experience like what kind of advice would you give to people uh, in terms of dealing with fellow you know team members or colleagues and volunteers it's a very good question mm. and it's something which many people struggle with yeah. um i think look uh, f- in terms of volunteers uh one thing that i constantly tell uh, volunteers in in terms of like uh, I've, I've, I've volunteer inductions or whether mm. it be at um uh, just before the evening where we're hosting people like three four hundred people every evening is the message of of time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by time mm. um, one thing that none of us on this planet whether we are trillionaires billionaires zillionaires is that we cannot give back time mm. so the moment an individual a living human body right has gone out of their way to commit to a project which any or, or, or initiative or any uh, work that you are doing mm. which is very close to your heart and that person has come out of the way and said I believe in this, i.e. I believe in you, yeah. is an incredibly humbling uh, um, juncture in your, in, your, in your life. So for that reason, we, you know, over the number of years, we have looked at our program internally in terms of volunteers. And we actually yeah. asked them, you know, Alhamdulillah, you know, <laughs> 100% of our volunteers have said they want to come back and volunteer. Mm-hmm. And they would recommend it to others. But it's about that sense of ownership and also allowing them the ability to grow and develop mm. both spiritually as well as actually putting them in difficult situations to think on their feet. Yeah. And it's about that culture. You know when you create that culture like any in, in any workplace, right? Whether it's uh, volunteers or not. Mm. You know, you could have members of staff that you're you're in charge of or you're you're managing volunteers or or, or if you're a manager of a football club. Yeah. You have to instill a culture where everyone feels they're involved. Mm. Where everyone feels they are ten feet taller, where, where everyone feels that actually they belong, mm. where they know that their work is being acknowledged, that their work is taken into consideration, that their voice is heard, that actually you truly do think well about them. Yeah, there isn't uh, a solution, if I will, in terms of like waving a wand and that's it, it'll happen. Yeah, I think it's about culture. It's about you know, if you're genuine and sincere, and you come across and 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 you know those ideals are coming across to those people, and you're winning their sort of hearts and minds in that sense, then they will they will completely give themselves to you. And they'll say, mm. look, I, I commit to this, right? Um, and, and you know, with that, Alhamdulillah, from our, from our journey, again, something else that we are launching this, uh, this month, actually, is an academy program mm. for our volunteers, where 
they enter into Ramadan 2019 mm. to volunteer, and then and they graduate out of this program in Ramadan 2020. So it's almost like a school of oh, Ramadan. Okay. And the, the the premise behind that is our volunteers who commit their time is that we give back during the year through spiritual uh, talent and leadership training, mm. right? And development, where we want to give back workshops, etc., um, running parallel twice a month. And part of that process is you go through that and then you graduate that you become an ambassador mm. to the organization where you're then able to be you know, sent to speaking initiatives, engagements to represent the organization. Mm. Uh, and that's a lifetime membership, if you will, as yeah, to be yeah. an ambassador. And then also uh, for those who want to, they, they apply to sit on the advisory panel. And uh, that is an, op- an opportunity where we are um, being genuine and sincere about this and saying, look, you could enter as a general volunteer, you stay with us for a year program, and then mm. you graduate, and then you can apply to sit on the advisory panel and yeah. actually be, you know, in the in a in a boardroom where you're able to um, shape and mold the future of this organization, yeah, um, which you have given yourself to. And I think for me, you know, another thing which is uh, like uh, with my sort of academic career as well and lecturing and public lectures, etc. Mm. and I find it very, of course, you mentioned that you alluded to this earlier where you can't juggle all of these things at once. Yeah. And there's a very important point which uh, Richard Branson mentioned and actually I gave this advice to Elon Musk okay. uh, of Tesla um, and saying like, you need to think about delegating. The, you know, the, the delegation is an art in itself. Mm. It's a skill set in itself, yeah. right? Some of us, unfortunately, <clears throat> want to hoard everything, micromanage everything. Mm. You know, I, I personally, you know, when I first started my journey, I was very much involved yeah, yeah. in everything. But alhamdulillah, I'm coming to terms with actually, you know what? Let things happen. Let, yeah. you know, let people grow into their roles, you know, bring forward suggestions, push them to do so. Um, I had a member of staff the other day actually ask and say, I'm quite astonished that you actually are taking on board my opinion or you're asking me. And I was like, well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is, this is the, the culture or the team, the, 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 yeah. the, the, the culture we want in our team, yeah, in our yeah. staff and volunteers, is that we want people to, to be these leaders who are able to go on and, and move on and not to stay full-time forever with us for the rest of their careers. Yeah. On the contrary, if we can be a stepping stone to people to go on and to excel in their respective careers and mm. to actualize their vision and dreams and goals and if we played a little contribution in that life which goes on to be an amazing story to tell mm. then alhamdulillah that that would be yeah. a really amazing uh, uh, kpi or feature for us you know yeah, yeah, that yeah. we look back and think alhamdulillah we were able to you know you know nurture this person and actually allow them to grow and develop and become that leader mm. so so yeah now that we've obviously got more volunteers than ever yeah. more staff more people involved i've now had to uh, take a step back and actually delegate to mm. others to assume this role of leadership. And alhamdulillah, through doing that, you're actually creating another uh, 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 round and group of, 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 uh, of, of amazing uh, leaders, inshallah. Inshallah. No, I think that's, that's amazing. And um, something that, like we said, it's not just um, you know, people who are leading community initiatives, but it could even be you know, managers, people who are bosses at work. Because it's all part of the same thing, which is... The key word is empathy, honestly. Yeah. I mean, irrespective of whether you've got a degree at Yale or, mm. or Harvard or Oxford or Cambridge, the key root word here is empathy. Mm-hmm. If you can empathize with your staff, with your volunteers, mm. you have that at your core, compassion. And, bo- and it works both ways because that's the culture that you want to create. That's yeah. the sort of energy you want to have in your building. So you walk into your office and everyone's psyched up, is very mm. you know, ready to go, right? Um, 
and away from the sort of dictatorial yeah, <laughs> mindset yeah. that some of us have and unfortunately young social entrepreneurs have this yeah is that because this is my idea and therefore nothing can happen because this is this is how i you know i i'm the one who put this and the key word is look guys the, the word i is such a toxic word <laughs> the word is about we mm. as a group as a team right and that's your nef speak and that's your like your ego i i i i and mm. actually you should be thinking hold on a second you know if if all if we all we all face that day where we will die, Allah yeah. Subhanahu wa Taala will you know call on the angel to say take this ruh mm. and that's it done. Then then what? Right? Yeah. It's about leaving that sort of legacy, inshallah, that we can have others who can then go off and do amazing things, and hopefully it becomes a sadaqah jariyah for us. Inshallah. Um, yeah. Alhamdulillah, Abad Omar, uh, there's so much more <laughs> that, that we could discuss, but, uh, but Alhamdulillah, it's been, it's been a pleasure. And I think we've covered so many different areas and aspects in terms of, you know, whether it's having a vision or managing a team, volunteers, or, you know, just it, so many different discussions of growing initiatives, etc. So it's, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And Alhamdulillah, because of the, the viewership and, and you know, the, the, the kind of family we have here at Elmfeed, it's worldwide. So it's not just something which is limited to people in the UK. So inshallah, maybe uh, some people listening across the world they might also be interested in uh, you know their own open iftar inshallah, in their respective countries so so for sure for those people who are interested inshallah make sure you check out uh, Brother Omar's work and the work of the Ramadan 10 project and the open iftar team inshallah and like I said you never know inshallah you know he's already done it in it's already been done in Istanbul it's already been done in other countries and continents so who knows uh, there might be something similar coming your way very soon so do indeed check out the work of Brother Omar Salha the RTP team inshallah they're all over social media uh, and uh, Ramadan is of course going to be you know, around, around the corner now so it's going to be an exciting time inshallah so we're looking forward to seeing uh, more of the project inshallah and we look uh, forward to, to, to hosting you as inshallah. well to hosting for, you and, sure. and the brothers and sisters behind Ilmfeed as well to come for and join sure. us I know they showcased some of the open of last yes, year yes, which inshallah. was great so we want to have them come back as well definitely inshallah for sure Jazakallah khairan brother Omar it's been a pleasure well, yeah. and uh, to everyone else watching inshallah make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, and uh, keep an eye out for more podcasts coming your way from your host Shabir it's been a pleasure until next time Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh